ministry. And he says that if you are blessed, you are missing out if you don't take that blessing and pour it out. If you're selfish, people will not ever know God through you. But if you pour it out. And as I was watching the dancers, I couldn't help but see somebody pouring it out. Give God some praise for those dancers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. This time is yours. I dedicate myself to you. Remove everything that's in me that you might fill me, that your word be heard in this place. Thank you, Father, for 136 years. Thank you, Lord God, for every giant that planted in this place. For every giant, Lord God, that continues to plant in this place. And Father, we will give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. We are here today because Jesus died for sin. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, this day is specifically and particularly for you. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are not too far gone. You are not too sinful, for the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us who know Christ have earned anything. But we are be able to be secure in this life because wherever we are, God's grace has extended to us. For the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So it is by his grace that Jesus has changed our heredity and changed our DNA. Sin is not only wrongdoing, it is wrong being. So Jesus changed our DNA for only the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Your transition from eternal death to eternal life begins with confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. When you are saved, you are saved from the power and the penalty of sin. You have the power to be saved. William Shakespeare was correct. To be or not to be? That is the question. Today you have the power to be saved. You have the power to be changed. You have the power to be transformed. And at any time during this service, if you make it known that you desire to be saved, we will stop the service at that point, acknowledge you, and celebrate along with heaven because that is the most important thing in the house. Good morning, EBC Benton. God bless you, family. 
It's wonderful to be here. I thank you all for the opportunity. We are going to get right into our text today because I believe that there is a word from the Lord. Amen. Our text today, our primary text today comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 18. Can we read it together? On three, one, two, three. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That is our primary text for today. We will be taking the entire pericope beginning with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, and walking all the way up. To be or not to be. Don't you know that the Bible commands us to be some things? It says, be ye transformed. Be steadfast. Be ye doers, not just hearers only. Be ye holy. Be ye ready. But today's text gives us some insight as to what we really need to be, and that is be filled. If you could not be, God would not have asked you to be. If you couldn't do it, God wouldn't have said it. If he didn't equip you, he would not have asked you to do it. So let me, let me tell you why you have the power to be, and then we're going to get right into it, and then I promise you, the roast won't burn. Amen? <laughs> In the book of Exodus, Moses asked God, who should I tell them sent me? He said, I am that I am. He is. And there's these four letters that uh, they, the Jews like to use that are the unspeakable name of God. Y-H-W-H, and we have vowels and we call that Yahweh, but that's actually the unspeakable name of God. But those four letters come through three Hebrew words, Hayah, that which was, Hovei, that which is, and Yehi, a that which is to come. As a matter of fact, God's name itself is the conjugation of the verb to be. If you are here and you have the Holy Spirit in you, that means that God God is inside of you. If he is and he is in you, then you have the power to be. Anybody got the Holy Spirit? Then be. Our text today comes from the book of Ephesians. It was written in A.D. 60, between A.D. 60 and 62 by the Apostle Paul. It was written during his first Roman imprisonment when he was under house arrest. It was a general letter. It was addressed to Ephesus, but it was intended to go all through Asia Minor, the churches that you will see in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. During this time, Ephesus was the capital of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And it was the beginning of the mail route. So anything that went through there, they would drop it to Postmaster Central in Ephesus, and hopefully it would make its way throughout southern Turkey. This is, by many accounts, considered Paul's literary masterpiece. It is split right down the middle. First three chapters, 
theory. Second three chapters, practice. First three chapters, the character of the church. The second three chapters, the conduct of the saints. The first three chapters, well said. The second three chapters, well done. Well said, well done is much better than well said. Amen. And so we're going to look at the second half beginning at chapter four today, verse one. And I want to look at this thing through the it factor. Somebody say it. That word it, I-T. I want to look at it through the it factor. And we're going to look at three points. We're going to talk about the charge, the challenge, and the choice. The it factor is something when Vicki and I go to our marriage retreat every year down in San Antonio, outside of San Antonio, we learned this principle several years ago. It's called it. I stands for intention. T stands for technique. A lot of times we have great intentions, but we have bad technique. So when we talk to married couples, we, we try to make sure that intention and technique line up. So let me, let me bring it to understanding as we get ready to go into the text. You have a sender who intends to send a message. You have a receiver. Key point. The receiver is the one who determines the meaning of the message, not the sender. The receiver determines the meaning of the message. So the sender intends to send a message. The receiver wants to receive a message, but that receiver oftentimes frames that message not through the intention of the sender, but through the technique from which it came. So if the technique is bad, I look at the technique and it supersedes what the intended message was. And therefore, I do not have effective communication. So the it factor is intention and technique. Remember, we often have good intentions, but we have bad technique. In the scripture today, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Paul's intention is that we walk worthy. But his technique is, through our first keyword, that we become a prisoner. He is indeed in prison in Rome. He is indeed under house arrest. But that's not what he's talking about. He has surrendered himself to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He said it in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, I am Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He said in Philemon 1 and 1, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And he again here says he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. But what does it mean to be a prisoner? If any of you all have known somebody who has visited any of our state or federal facilities... Voluntarily or involuntarily. <laughs> I have not had the privilege of long-term stay, but I've been in enough of them to do ministry. You're told when to get up. You're told when to lay down. You're told when to eat. You're told when to stop eating. 
You're told when you can make a phone call. You're told how long you can talk on that phone call. You're told what to wear. You're told how to wear it. You're told when to wear it. You're told when dark uh, lights out hours are. You're told when you can have recreation. You are a prisoner under the authority of the person who is in charge of you. Paul says, I voluntarily surrender myself to be a prisoner under the authority of Jesus Christ. Rod, where we at? Come on, can you come on down? I want to see if we can make this plain. I, I'm, I'm an examples guy. I like to uh, do interactive sermons. I, I might have somebody run up and down and shout or do something. This is, this is my friend, Brother Rod White, and we're going to talk about this prisoner thing. Y'all give it up for Brother Rod. Hey, Brother Rod. Bro, no, 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 behind. Brother Rod has some handcuffs. Y'all pray and make sure he has the key. <laughs> make, make sure you double lock so they don't tighten up on me. <laughs> I'm a policeman by heart. That was my first job. I, I love policing. Okay. All right. Amen. Hold hold that chain back there, Brother Rod. All right. A prisoner for Jesus Christ. A prisoner. If I was to buck Rod, if he was apprehending me or arresting me, this chain that Rod is holding onto in policing world is called a positive control point. If I get out of order, if Paul, uh, excuse me, if Brother Rod lifts up on this chain, my shoulders are not designed to rotate that way. (laughs) If he lifts up on, go ahead, Brother Rod. If he lifts up on that chain hard enough, keep going. All right, that's good. (laughs) I am going to comply with what Brother Rod says because I am a prisoner of his. He has a positive control point. He is controlling my movement and my motion because he desires to keep me under control. Paul voluntarily has said, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And no matter what happens in my life, I'm under his control. And he said in Corinthians three times, I was beaten with rods, but he shook that off. One time, I was stoned and he shook that off three times. I was shipwrecked and he shook that off. One time I was given a diagnosis. I didn't think I was going to make it through one time. I was in a bad situation that I didn't think I could get out of two or three times. My finances were in really bad straits. But I am a prisoner to Jesus Christ, and I have to resolve in my mind like Paul resolved in his mind. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor powers, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor life, nor death shall separate me from the love of God. Take me down, bro.
Thank you, brother. <laughs> I know that I never desire to be incarcerated. <laughs> Paul's intention was that we walk worthy. The technique was that we would be a prisoner for Christ. That's the charge. Walk worthy. But then what happens after we have the charge, we come up to a challenge. And he issues the challenge in Ephesians 5 and 1. He says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. The intention is to be followers. The technique is as dear children. The word followers in that text comes from the Greek word mamitos, which means to imitate. So some of you all who might have the New King James Version or the NIV, it says be ye imitators of Christ. That's okay. It's the same word. Our, his, his challenge to us is to imitate God as dear children. And don't you know that word dear comes from the same word when Jesus came straightway up out of the water during his baptism and a loud voice came down to heaven and it said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. It's the same word. It desires you are the preferred one. You are the one who is worthy of love. And so our key word here is dependency. Dependency. Say that with me, dependency. Everything that we teach in life, we teach independence. Walk on your own, son. I'm tired of changing your diapers. Change your own diapers. You better get up and go to the bathroom. Do your homework. Get the homework done. You better go to school because you got to get a job. You got to get a job because you need to pay your own bills. You need to pay your own bills because you need to get out of here. You need to get your own wife. You need to have your own children. And you need to take care of your own children. They can come and visit, but at the end of the day, they need to go home. I'm as guilty as guilty can be because I always say what my grandfather used to say. Every tub needs to sit on its own bottom. I, I'm not trying to raise grown folk. Amen? But... This is what happens. Everything we teach is about independence, but everything God wants from us is independence. God desires that we be dependent upon him. But everything I've learned in my life is about being independent. And so you have what this, this big word we like to use as counterintuitive. It doesn't fit. It, do, it says one thing on one side and another thing on the other side. Which do I do? And I, here's your homework for this week. If you want to understand what counterintuitive feels like, brush your teeth with the other hand. If you're used to doing it right-handed, try to do it left-handed tomorrow night or tonight when you go to bed. And see how much it just doesn't work. It, 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 it gets confusing because it's counterintuitive to everything that you've been doing every day of your life. Every day of your life, independence has been taught. Get out of here. Get your own. Do your own. Be your own. But God says, rely on me. Yes. 
So the intention is that we would be imitators as dear children. What does dear children do? They don't come with any pretense. They don't come with any expectations. They just expect it to be there. They haven't gone to Super One, but they expect the groceries to be on the table. They haven't gotten a job. They just suspect the tuition to be in the bank account. Somebody, somebody ought to pray with me today. If you, if you got children in college, you ought to know. They, don't, they have no expectation. They have no pretense. They just follow because that's what they know to do. So what are we imitating? If we're going to imitate somebody, we ought to imitate Jesus. Is that right? So, so John chapter 5 and verse 19 says this. The son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do. For what things soever the father doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. Jesus the son was dependent upon God the father. John 5 and 30 says, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the father which sent me. Jesus was dependent upon his father. John 8 and 28 and 29 says, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my father hath taught me, I speak these things, for I do always those things that please him. Luke 22 says, nevertheless, not my will, but the will of him, thine will, his will be done. Was Jesus dependent on his father? Can we see that he was dependent on his father? Well, if we're going to imitate that, then I think a way that we can see how to imitate that is through that wonderful psalm called Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't want for anything. I'm dependent on my father. I shall not want for rest because he maketh me to lie down. I shall not want for sustenance because he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I shall not want for direction because he leadeth me. I shall not want for safety because he leadeth me beside still waters. I shall not want for encouragement because he restoreth my soul. I shall not want for waywardness because he leadeth me in the path of righteousness. I shall not want for motive because it is for his name's sake. I shall not want for fear because thou art with me. I shall not want for protection because thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I shall not want for hunger because thou preparest a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I shall not want for healing and blessing because thou anointest my head with oil. I shall not want for provision because my cup runneth over. I shall not want for companionship because goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall not want for shelter because and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And if you can't remember all of that stuff, then just pop on over to Proverbs 3. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. We have a charge to walk worthy. 
The intention in walking worthy is to be a prisoner. We have a challenge to be followers or imitators of Christ. The technique is as dear children. But we said today in this 136 years, to be or not to be, that is the question. And so in Ephesians 5 and 18, it says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. That word excess means recklessness. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Our intention here is to bear fruit. The technique is to be filled. Now, I know that we use Ephesians 5 and 18 sometimes to, not, not anybody here, but there's people in the world who use Ephesians 5, 18 to, to justify their drinking. Bible don't say don't drink. It says be not drunk. But can I tell you something? What Paul was making reference to was What is it that you yield to? Our key word here is yield. What is it that you yield to in your life? Well, let's talk about yield for a minute. When you yield something, what you yield is the right of way. I can yield the right of way to the Holy Spirit in my life, or I can yield the right of way to anything else that I allow to yield the right of way to. Paul was saying, be not drunk with wine where it becomes and has the right of way in your life. But he could have easily just have said, be not drunk with anger wherein is excess. He could have said, be not drunk with self-righteousness wherein is excess. He could have said, be not drunk with your shoe collection. Wherein is excess. He could have said, do not be drunk with your video game collection. Let me know when I come down your street. (laughs) Be not drunk with sexual satisfaction. Be not drunk with jealousy. Be not drunk with getting the last word. Be not drunk with selfishness. Be not drunk with hatred. Be not drunk with revenge. Be not drunk with cutting people off and be not drunk with cussing people out. He could have used anything to say be not drunk with because the idea was is what is controlling you? What is it that you yield to? What is it that you give your life over to on a moment by moment, day by day basis? And all he was saying was don't be drunk with that stuff. Be filled with the spirit. Now, I I have to tell this. And my wife knows. Wrong time. My wife knows where we're going. Sorry about that, Brother Doyle. <laughs> My wife knows where we're going. We have a family friend, and this is the truth. It's comical, but it's the truth. Teresita is one of the most brilliant people in the world that I have ever met educationally and academically. She is a friend of the family. 
She was a little bit wayward as a child, so my father kept her for several years, but her, her parents knew that, and, and she became a brilliant, brilliant person. She went to law school. She became a lawyer. She dealt with children in the court just like her when she was that age. She gave up her law practice to go do hair. I told you she was brilliant. <laughs> she gave up her law practice to go do hair and was good at it. But Teresita had a flaw, and she still has that flaw to this day. I don't care what's happening in the world. When you see Teresita, if she were to walk through that door right now during church at EBC Benton, it would take her about 120 seconds to tell you that she had to cuss somebody out. Because that's what she does. And she's proud about it and happy about it. February 21st, 2006, we all converged on Chicago, my hometown, to go to my dad's funeral. I picked Terry up from Midway Airport in Chicago. As she gets in the car, she says, I had to cut somebody out at the baggage claim. <laughs> Pick it up and touch it in my bag. I had to cut somebody out at the baggage claim. So we were sitting around the table in mom's house, and my brother said, Terry, why is it that every conversation you have, has to come to cussing somebody out. She says, because I like to cuss, I got to cuss, I'm going to cuss, and if you don't shut up, I'm going to cuss you out. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you, family, is Terry is filled with cussing. <laughs> that cussing has a hold to her. But the Bible says, be not drunk with wine, be not consumed, do not yield to other things that control you, but be ye filled with the Spirit of God. And, 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 and this is where Galatians goes when it says, now the fruit of the Spirit is. Y'all know him, love, joy, peace, long suffering, you know him, right? But here's what happens. We work too hard. We work too hard. You may try to do love. You may try to do joy. You may try to do peace or you may try to do long suffering. And you may succeed at one or two of those things. But that's not a fruit of the spirit. That's a fruit of your labor. If you labor long enough in one thing, you'll get it. But what happened to the other fruit? If you're going to be filled with the spirit, you have to bear fruit. So let me tell you this, this study I've done recently, then I'm going to get out your way. God did not create us to be multitaskers. I know that we celebrate people who they call a switch tasking or task switching or multitasking. I know that we celebrate that, but that's not what we're designed to do. Can I tell you what happens when we multitask? When we multitask, this is what we get in the world of church. We get 20 percent of the people doing 80 percent of the work because they want to be celebrated in many things. We were never meant to multitask. We were meant to be singularly focused. That was, that's God's design. You want to know that we do practice that principle in the church? Let me tell you where we practice it in the church. Every time we have a potluck. Everybody brings one thing. Their best thing. Raise your hand if you're my greens people. 
Chitlins. Cakes, pie, sweet potato pie. Fried chicken. Everybody brings one thing. They bring their best thing. Everybody has abundance. Nobody is overworked. Nobody goes with lack. And you've never been at one where there wasn't any leftovers. That's the principle of God in food. We practice it every time we have a potluck. But when it comes time for ministry, we want to multitask. Bring your one good thing to church. Your best thing to church. Do your one good thing. Nobody's overworked. Nobody goes with lack. Everybody has abundance. And there's plenty of ministry to go outside of the walls. Amen? Be not drunk with wine wearing this excess. Be filled with the Spirit. So what does this look like when you're filled with the Spirit? You don't just get one love. You don't just get one joy. You don't just get one peace. You get all of it encompassed together. So instead of EBC trying to be love, don't be love, be filled. Instead of trying to be joy, don't be joy, be Here's a good one. Instead of trying to be long-suffering, don't be long-suffering, just be. Don't be peace, just be. Don't be meek, just be. Don't try to be good, just be. Don't try to keep yourself under control, just be. Because if you're filled with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God will only produce what it is. It can't produce anything else. If the God is in you, filling you up, then when it pours out, it will produce the things of God. If you're half and half, what comes out of you is going to be half. What do they call it? Tiger Woods or something? If you're half and half, I'm talking about that little drink they drink. Arnold Palmer, Tiger Woods. If you're half and half. What comes out of you is going to be half in half. If you're a quarter full, then 75% of you is going to be something other than God. I said at the beginning that Shakespeare had it right. To be or not to be? That's the question. Well, let me, let me give you some bad news and then I'm going to give you some good news. When Shakespeare wrote that play, it was written as a tragedy. Because the person who was doing the soliloquy of to be or not to be was trying to make a determination as to whether or not it was better to die or better to live. Don't let your life be a tragedy. You have the power to be filled. No matter what you're going through, just be filled. Don't operate on a quarter tank of gas. Yield the right of way to the spirit in your whole life. It takes about $50 to fill my big red van up outside from empty to full. And if one of you were to give me a gift card for $50, 
I, it would be a tragedy if I went and put $20 worth of gas in the car and threw the car away. That's a tragedy. I just threw $30 in the trash. What I'm telling you is that you have all of God in you. You have the power to yield to the Holy Spirit and allow that Holy Spirit to fill you at all times. When we operate beneath our privileges, it is a tragedy to go out in the world and operate at 50% of what God has given you. You can operate on full all the time. Just yield the right of way to the Holy Spirit. I know it doesn't feel good sometimes. I know you don't want to do it sometimes. I know you want to get that terror seat of spirit and cuss them out sometimes. But that's not being filled. Be not drunk with wine where is excess. Be ye filled with the Spirit to be or not to be, to be, or not to be, to be, or not to be, to be, or not to be. That is the question. Give God glory. Amen. 